0: This is the Tribune Audio Network.
1: This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Podash, and on this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, and religion. It's a Wonderful Life isn't a hit at the box office in 1946, but decades later, it becomes a Christmas classic. We're taking a look back at the Frank Capra film and the backstories on everything from sets to props and more. Perhaps you're one of those people who have seen it many, many times, but after this interview, you may never see it the same way again. It's a Wonderful Life is a wonderful story that has it all romance, good versus evil. The American dream,
0: friendship. I think the secret to this movie is that it's a roller coaster ride of emotions.
1: George saved his brother's
0: life that day. Capra seems to cold. make a point of every time he has to address a more serious subject, he follows it with a comedic and lighthearted topic. To me, it's a metaphor for life. There's much about the film you might miss. It has a a 1940s and holiday flair to it. Michael
1: Willen is a fan and author of The Essential, It's a Wonderful Life. It's
0: always been an opportunity to breathe new life into the film so people can share it on a deeper level. He meets us at the Davis Theater in Chicago's
1: Lincoln Square. He inspects the foreground and the background to explain the moments or mementos that will make this classic film seem new again. Buffalo girls, can't you, can't you come up tonight, can't you come up tonight, can't you come up tonight. While the movie opens in 1946, its backstory dates three years earlier. In 1943, Civil War historian Philip Van Doren Stern finishes writing a short story called The Greatest Gift, but can't find a publisher, so he comes up with a unique
0: idea. He had a great idea one day and for a short story and followed through on it and actually decided to, to distribute it uh, in a unique way uh, to his friends and, and co-workers and acquaintances uh, in the form of a greeting card. It was essentially a pamphlet um, of this short story.
1: Uh, there, Captain Cook, where are you hitting Gotta see Papa, but Billy. Some other time, George. 200 Christmas cards, and one gets noticed by a movie executive who buys the rights for, in today's money, Frank Capra directs Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. It wasn't a big hit at the box office, so why or how did it become so prevalent?
0: You're right about it not being a big hit, And, and a little bit of it was marketing. They just weren't sure what this film was exactly.
1: Good afternoon, Mr. Bailey. Hello, Violet. Decades later, the copyright lapses
0: and that's when it essentially entered the public domain and uh, TV stations started showing it over and over again and it started to become part of the fabric of our holiday experiences. I love watching this film in in black and white and that was Capra's original intent Mm -hmm. artistically. but I also enjoy seeing it, the colorized version.
1: Hope you have a good trip, George. Uncle Billy and I are gonna miss you. You've seen the action up close, but instead of the foreground, this time we'll look at elements of the background and anecdotes from the cast and crew. Genuine English cowhide, combination lot fitted up with brushes, nope. cones. Nope, nope.
0: This is a wonderful scene. This is actually on a back lot in Encino, California.
1: I don't want one for one night, I want something for a thousand and one nights. With plenty of room here for labels from Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand, great big.
0: Samarkand is in Uzbekistan. It's actually north uh, of Afghanistan. It was known as the Rome of the East and was on the Silk Road. It does make sense that a faraway place like Samarkand has caught his eye.
1: I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society.
0: George is an explorer, right? And he's reading National Geographics, So, totally understandable that George would want to go there. A genuine loving cup. Those not tapped by the judges will remain on the floor. Let's go! brilliantly selected by Capra. It's actually a place called the Swim Gym. It still exists today, and it's at the Beverly Hills High School. And in 1940, they came up with this idea to save space to put the, the gym floor over the pool it's a one taker like there's no way you're going back and doing this again yeah. so they had to get it right the predicament that Capra was in he didn't want to have to try to right. try to recreate this a second time with yeah. people jumping in the water the other thing is that the the kids got paid an extra 50 dollars if they were willing to jump in the water <laughs> and so in today's dollars that's, that's 700 crazy. bucks wow The ultimate goal here is to win the Charleston contest. We never figure out who actually wins the trophy in this scene, right? But we're gonna see later on that the Charleston trophy actually ends up in the building alone office, George's office during the bank run scene. You can see it on a cabinet. So that is telling us in a very obscure way that they actually won the Charleston contest. this record here that mary puts on for buffalo gals when i first saw it i thought oh arthur black and and his orchestra that's got it. you know i'm just curious well it turns out it's actually an inside joke arthur black is the assistant director and (laughs) and was capra's right-hand man for many of his great films
1: not a thing I, i just came in to get war he's making violent love to me mother you tell him to go right back home, and don't you leave the house either. Sam Wayne. Now give us some perspective on that. That seems pretty R-rated for the 1940s.
0: Yeah, but in fact, it was actually G-rated because back in the day, that phrase had a connotation simply of, of flirting. Even up into, you know, through the 60s, you can go back and look at movies and they'll use that phrase in, in the context of, mm. of flirting.
1: notice something after they get married. What did you notice?
0: Yes, yeah, so George actually isn't wearing a wedding band.
1: Bert, the cop sent this over. He said to float away to Happyland on the bubbles. Oh, look at
0: this. When this scene was set in 1932, it really became popular during World War II and coming out of World War II. It was more of a European tradition that caught on with American servicemen. I wouldn't have a roof over my head if it wasn't for you, George. Just a minute. Just a minute.
1: Inexplicably, in the closing scene, Mr. Welch is at the Bailey home as friends donate money to the family. The most surprising
0: person who is there is Mr. Welch. Mr. Bailey? Mr. Welch, of course, punches George out in martinis. So he's not in our our good graces, but here he is at the end of the film. Quiet, everybody, quiet, quiet. Capra at this point was so pressed to cut time out of this film that he had to make some decisions. And the net effect is Mr. Welch is prominently placed in this scene, but with no context. Right,
1: well that helps explain why he was there. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother George, the richest man in town. What is it that people discovered watching it decades later that they enjoyed that audiences didn't enjoy years
0: earlier? I think it's. At the heart of it is the messaging, right? I mean, the the messaging rings true to us. The value of our life and and the importance of reminding ourselves on a yearly basis, and the holidays is the perfect time to do that, of the uh, positive impact that we have on each other's lives.
1: Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings,
0: an angel gets his wings. That's right,
1: that's right boy, Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at WGNTV.com slash Backstory.
0: This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.